Welcome to Pivot, where we talk with leading event promoters, brand marketers, destinations, and fun development experts on how their work has changed and continues to change as a result of the pandemic. We will explore creative ways these industries have adjusted to these unpredictable times. You'll have an inside look at how organizations and large-scale events are strategically changing to meet today's new normal. It's a look back as well as a look to the future and the dynamic days ahead. Please welcome host Tavi Fulkerson, founder of the Fulkerson Group, a sponsorship and marketing agency based in Detroit, Michigan. For today's program, I'd like to welcome Carla Bello, who is president and CEO of the Center for Automotive Research, affectionately known as CAR. Welcome to our program, Carla. Thanks, Tabby. Great to be with you. We're entering into the fall, which is a, certainly a big time of year for automotive. But I know about a month ago, you hosted and produced the management briefing seminars in Traverse City, which have been done for more than 50 years, even before, I believe, CAR came into being. And it was great to be up there. How did you feel the conference went? Well, overall, I think it went fabulous. It was well attended. We ended up having more people than we had envisioned. And the vast majority ended up coming in person, which, again, we didn't really envision either. I think people were just so eager to to get back together and for the networking. That's the value of some of these conferences. But beyond that, the subject matter, the different topics that were discussed were very relevant to, you know, everything that business is facing today, the automotive industry is facing today. And what do you think are the hottest issues that, let's start with the industry first, that, pe- that people want to hear about these days? Some of the topics are supply chain and supply chain resilience, especially as we battled the semiconductor and other shortages through throughout the year and still ongoing with, you know, no end really in sight, no strong end in sight. The others, a lot related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, you know, how that is integrated into every aspect of our business. Sustainability, key focus, sustainability, future-proofing, and contained within sustainability is the social element I mentioned before, but the environment as well, and, and what you're doing for reusing, recycling, energy for your manufacturing plants, for your offices, and then what's happening with the shift to EVs and, Mm -hmm. you know, how soon is that coming and how are hybrids part of that solution? And of course, as usual, just the forecast and the economics and the trends, seeing again what's happening with supply and demand. So these were the, I think, the key topics that we discussed. There was also, you know, the discussion as usual on AVs and connected vehicles. And of course, the, you know, the big silver bullet of data monetization that nobody's figured out yet, but everybody's certain exists. That's a huge variety of subjects. You know, Carl, I've probably been coming to that conference for 25 plus years. And in the early days, when Dave Cole was running it, there were a lot of C-level OEM executives that would speak. And I thought it was extremely interesting and very compelling that you had a number of people from different verticals, I'd say, outside of the automobile business, and from Amazon, for example, and other 
companies. Is that part of the strategic direction for the conference that you're going to be encompassing a variety of different industries? Yes, quite frankly, our base here, what, uh, group, what we call our affiliates that are part of our program here, that has become very diverse too, because as we move from just, you know, car ownership into car usership and you know, looking at data because, you know, as the car has evolved, now basically we have a computer on wheels and the consumer is really, really concerned about the experience. It's no longer driving and driving performance and all the things that we used to talk about, but now it's about connectivity. Can I get stuff done? You know, the number one complaint that we saw yesterday in the JD Power Scores when they came out was the ability to hook your phone to your car, the Android and uh, Apple CarPlay. These two were the largest complaints that we're seeing. So it's a whole new consumer experience that we're seeing. And that's why you have this vast dispersion of new players. These are areas that aren't typically the core competencies of the automotives. So they're partnering with others to, to get this skill set so that you know they can continue to to provide what the consumer is looking for. I think that's a very, very important point because sometimes the issues that are relevant to the auto industry are different than the issues as it relates to having a car or a mobility that consumers have. It's fascinating that the number one thing they might be concerned with is connecting their phone. In the early days, you know, the muscle cars and design were such a big, big part of of a vehicle selection. Any observations on that, the consumer point of view? It's really interesting, isn't it? I think there's a few reasons why it's happened. One is you can't drive like you used to be able to drive. I mean, anywhere you go today, there's congestion. Driving just isn't fun. Even if you buy one of those muscle cars, where can you go to even drive it and have fun with it? So true. Um, So true. You just don't see it. So when you're stuck in traffic, what do you want to do? You want to talk on the phone. You want to be able to get business done. You want to be able to maybe even buy things. Who knows? An interesting tidbit, and this number may have changed since the last time I researched it, but over 20% of people don't drive, don't test drive a car anymore when they buy it, but they make sure that it has Android or Apple CarPlay. Um, So that tells you, you know, really what's happening. And, um, you know, especially as our demographic shifts to younger and younger drivers, more and more, it's going to be about that connectivity and not so much about the driving experience. Absolutely. And I know that there are many millennials and Gen Zs who don't even have a driver's license. I mean, I remember when I turned 16, that was the first thing I wanted to do is get my driver's license. And our daughter has several friends that don't know how to drive and they're close to 30. We've really, you know, dug in a little bit on that. And again, it's the advent of connectivity without having to be mobile. So what did we want to do? We turned 16. You wanted to go see your friends, right? You wanted exactly. to, go to, you know, he, you just needed that freedom. So you didn't have to have, have mom and dad drive you everywhere. But today, heck, you can just, you can see them, FaceTime them. You can chat with them. You know, it's a whole new world of social interaction where a car isn't part of that anymore. 
What do you think the leading topics will be 10 years down the road? You know, we've kind of covered what's being talked about now, but let's project a little bit. What do you think? You know, it really depends how quickly we move through this cycle of electrification and how quickly we start to have success with autonomy or autonomy in geofenced areas. I think what we're going to be looking at by that time is this mobility ecosystem. We've already started talking about it, but how we can have all these different forms of mobility coexist and coexist safely. How well are they communicating with each other? You know, if you think about the urban environment of the future, which is mass transit plus probably small urban vehicles like the, let's just say the Citroen Ami or the the vehicle from China. You're going to have scooters. You're going to have bicycles. You're going to have probably some more kinds of uh, electric motorcycles, delivery vehicles, robots. You're going to have all of these things delivering people and goods everywhere, but they need to be able to safely coexist. And the only way to do that is to have the right communication infrastructure and smart kind of arrangement. So I think we'll be talking a lot about how, you know, there are zones where this is really working well, what's not working well, what needs to be regulated, what perhaps doesn't need to be regulated. I think we'll also be talking even between now and then about how do we make these standards and how do we make these regulations and how do we do it a heck of a lot faster because, you know, technology is is superseding any speed that we have at creating standards. So, you know, how can we do a better job with that? What about globally? You know, how can we make sure that we have consistent standards globally? Because if you think about the providers of mobility, they have a hard enough time within the U.S. where we can't seem to get a a, a nationwide standard. But if every state has different rules and the computer, you know, the the computer, the brain of the car has to change when it crosses state state lines, that's not going to work. And then all of our, you know, all of the automakers and all of the startups are all global. How can we harmonize as much as possible so that we don't have to have all these different programmings and all this different costs going into the development? We haven't even touched on the fact that there are going to be these vehicles that are cars and airplanes at the same time, air taxis. That seems to be sort exactly. of the, the hot, one of the hotter yeah. innovations and topics that you hear about um, in the Bay Area and Silicon Valley. The 3D system, right? So we're going to have the VTOLs, we're going to have drones, and right now, now, that airspace isn't regulated very well with rules, and we, we're, we're a far cry from understanding swarm theory at the rate that it needs to be understood to be able to have the number of drones we're going to need, you know, delivering things, because people's patience is going to get less and less and less. There's so much change happening. And then, of course, Mm -hmm. the pandemic getting thrown right into the middle of all of this, where now so many of the car companies and suppliers are not even going back into their offices, if at all, but also maybe not until January if they do. And that is also impacting what product development, the ability to learn from each other, communicate. So there's a lot of different change and overlay that you have to keep track. Indeed, we do. And, you know, you were asking me also about what, you know, other things we'll be talking about. I'm glad you brought up the pandemic. I think one of the key topics of the future will also be risk mitigation and future proofing because natural disasters, pandemics, I hate to say it, but these are are not going to go away. 
with the with the changes that have happened to our environment and our natural ecosystem of organisms. Thinking about how companies can be more resilient, how they can do better risk and, and crisis management. These are all things that are going to be on the table. We named this podcast Pivot and began to focus primarily on the event business, which, of course, my company, the Fulkerson Group, is in. But we're finding that pivoting is the buzzword for almost every single industry. President Biden recently is pushing, announced that he's pushing the auto industry to make sure that half of the vehicles sold by 2030 are electric or zero emission. Talk about pivoting after the traditional vehicles. Do you think it's achievable, what he's asking for? Can you tell us what you think? Well, we know it's non-binding and we know the automakers. And I would say if I was, you know, one of them that was talking to him, we have to have a lot of help. It's not something that's going to happen synergistically. We have to have the charging infrastructure. We have to have the incentives. We have to have more research dollars thrown out to be able to bring the cost of these products down. There's just a number of things that need to happen. Then I think... You know, one of the things that we're really studying here at CAR is, so if if indeed that's the kind of shift we want to see, what does that mean for our manufacturing facilities? Do we have the supply chain? Do we have the critical raw materials? And right now we can say we do not to meet that 50%. It, it's not there. So we need to be able to put money into mining, money into raw materials, money into refining plants. But all of that needs to be done sustainably, right? Or we're just mm-hmm. going to create a different problem someplace else. So we have, I call it, you know, the many tentacled octopus that we have to be look, looking at. And we need to have the workforce and we need to be able to pivot. Those companies that today, you know, even small mid-sized companies that are making parts for internal combustion engines, we don't want to, you know, shut them down. We want them to have a viable business. So how, what kind of training do they need? How can they have support to, to start making products for an electrified product or for a totally new product? So all of this has to be analyzed very carefully so we don't go too fast and create unintended consequences. At CAR, your foundation really is on research, sharing in various sessions, seminars, symposiums. It's a big task that you took on, becoming the CEO for CAR. I I did a little research about you. Your background is extremely interesting. You're a Michigander, like I am, grew up in Ypsilanti, really self-made, really congratulations. And your background is in engineering. You've got a master's in engineering. You worked at GM and Nissan. I I heard about a story that you drove a semi-truck across the country. (laughs) And I know you're a little person like me, so I know that had to have been something to see. How did you pivot to get into this role outside of the more traditional trajectory that people take within automotive? At heart, I'm a geeky nerd, okay? I love learning new things. I love being at the leading edge of technology. So when I retired, you know, as head of R&D for North and South America for Nissan, I knew if I had a next step, it was going to be working with um, working in the research area and or working with academia, because I've always loved my whole career working with young people, guiding them, advising them and, you know, just learning new stuff. 
So I actually took a, a role in academia before I came here to CAR and worked almost three years there leading mobility research and smart cities. So it completely broadened my horizons how the automotive business is much more than just making cars, but it's providing mobility and mobility provides ladders of opportunity to healthcare, to jobs, to education. So it really is a strong facet of an enabler for people to move forward and, and make more of their lives. So being exposed to that in academia and talking to people in urban planning and talking to people in in healthcare, in the legal, in the school of law, seeing how this all comes together and needs to be thought about. Then the next ask was to come here to the Center for Automotive Research, which is really the best blend of industry and academia. And I thought, this this is just perfect after, you know, be at the leading edge of some of the, the research that I love. I can still learn more about the geeky things that I love and also integrate that with sustainability for the automotive industry, which is our mission here at CAR. Provide them with these toolkits that they can use to drive their path for the future and, and stay viable. Are you finding that Younger people, since you're working in a, in a university environment to some extent, are interested in being involved in this industry? I would love to say profoundly yes, but I can't say that. And that's one of the most disconcerting parts, I think, for any of us that are involved in the automotive industry today. We're still not seen as a, a data or a forward-thinking industry. Students are still, I want to go work for Google, I want to go work for Apple, I want to go work for Facebook, blah, 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 blah. And if you go to one of these recruiting sessions at a university, the lines for those companies are huge and the auto industry maybe has two or three students. So we, we have to be talking more. We have to be showing more. And the interesting thing is I always have between three and five students that are working for us here at CAR. And I always speak with them at the end of the summer about what they learned. And every year I hear, I would have never considered the automotive industry if I didn't come spend time here. Now it's on my list. So the more that we can get students engaged with what we're doing, you know, the more students we can get brought in, the more interns we can do to get students enthused, the more we can go into classes. This is what we, I tell a lot of companies, go into the classes, talk to them. You know, don't go to just recruiting events. Go in and talk to the students about what you're doing. Spend an hour in their classroom or more. It, it can change their mind, but you've got to get them into the business and let them see what we're doing. And I would say that would be one of the greatest missions that you would have, Carla. You've done a great deal in the industry and have now come full circle. And we're very fortunate that you are now the president and CEO of the Center for Automotive Research. I can't thank you enough for joining us today. Thank you, Tabby. Thank you for listening to Pivot with a new interview posted on the second and fourth Tuesday of each month. To listen to new episodes, or if you'd like to be a guest on this program, visit www.fulkersongroup.com for more information. Until next time, don't forget to renew, reinvent, and energize.